uh, remind me at the end of the service to tell you about Ellen. Um, I might forget. About two and a half months ago, I quoted from a book entitled Tending the Body. It was written by a physiotherapist. And uh, the part that I quoted, he was telling us to listen to our bodies, to listen uh, specifically to our pain. Pain has different voices and pain in different parts of the body uh, feels different. And, uh, and sometimes there's uh, referred pain. Uh, if you don't know your anatomy that well, you may think that something's really wrong with your elbow when it's actually a tendon attached to your elbow. So um, this young man is um, very interesting, the author of the book. And I've met with him a couple of times. Uh, I'm impressed by him. And when I meet people like this, um, if possible, I'd like to share them with you. Uh, I'd, I'd like for you to hear from them what they have to say because I do a poor translation of it. And so I've asked Jake Caldwell to speak this morning, and uh, he consented, and I'm really happy to have him here. And I'm going to get a lot out of it, and if you don't, oh, that's too bad, because uh, I'm going to enjoy myself. Jake, thanks for being here. light went off on the mic. Is it still? It's still on? You're on. on? Okay. Okay. Um, well, I want to talk about living according to the flesh, which is, you know, the big thing that Paul tells us not to do. And you come across it all the time in the Bible, and I don't think we have a clue what it means. Um, and so just imagine for a second that someone came up to you and asked you, what does it mean to live according to the flesh? What would your answer be? And more than likely, I want you to put a lot of money on it, your answer, you would fumble around for a little bit, but your answer would have something to do with living by the instincts of the body or the lusts of the body or the passions of the body, um, by the desires of the body, but basically letting your body run the show would be what I think most of us would give as an answer. And we could quote Jesus, we could quote Paul to kind of back that up. A lot of quotes taken kind of out of context sound that way. So this Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So just kind of throw this world away is the impression you could get. Um, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. If your right hand offends thee, cut it off. And there's this idea of just this physical world, you know, Get behind me. The real world is the spiritual world. Um, and then you can quote Paul. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Um, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if you live according to the spirit, you put the, you put the death, the deeds of the body, you will live. Um, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. These things sound very strong with the idea that the body really is important. The physical world is important. It's the spiritual world that really matters. Um, and so there's this image I think we all have, if you search for it inside yourself, of the good spirit up above and the evil body, the evil physical world down below, and we're kind of trapped in this place. And, and spiritual work is rising above the body, transcending the body. And what I just described right there is called the Manichaean heresy. It was one of the big heresies that the Christian church had to work with in the early years um, and kind of got free of it. 
And unfortunately, it's come back to a degree where I don't think anyone can give a better answer than the one I just gave to what does it mean to live by the flesh. We're pretty stuck in that. Um, and, but it is uh, it means such a strong misunderstanding of Christianity that it's considered a heresy. It's that big of a deal. So I really want to work with this a little bit. Um, especially given the idea that the most famous verse in the Bible is God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we kind of focus on this, he gave his only son part of that verse, but God so loved the world is the start of that. And the, the, world, the word there is cosmos. God so loved the cosmos. It's not just God so loved us or our souls or our spirits and is trying to save us. God so loved the world, the whole entire cosmos. And that's why Jesus came. We're kind of, we're, we're missing, it's funny, this is like the most quoted Bible verse, but we're missing that beginning portion of it. Um, and there's, there's a, a um, biblical scholar named um, John Robinson who writes about the body, and it's a fantastic book, it's called The Body. Um, and he says, it is not a resurrection from the body, but of the body. The new creation is not a fresh start, but the old made new. So it's, we're, we're not going to escape this physical world. We're not going to escape these bodies, as I think a lot of us envision that we're, we're kind of going to go to heaven and get out of this place. That's not what it's about. It's a, it's a, the new creation is this world right here made new. It's not an escape out of this. Um, so basically, we're missing something, because all of us, I think, would answer to what the flesh is, 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 is the body. We get stuck on that, and we're, we're really missing something, and it's, I think it's really clear that we're missing something. And I think what we're missing is the incarnation. And the incarnation of Jesus is the biggest mystery of Christianity. It's the biggest, most profound thing that, go, I mean, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word flesh, he became, God became a part of this physical world. That's what's so profound about Christianity. We're, we're missing the fact that in the incarnation, there's this fusion of spirit and physical body together. And the whole point, I mean, everything about Christianity is Jesus comes into this world and he lives and he dies. It's a physical life, a physical death, and then a physical resurrection. The whole thing is physical. All of it is wrapped up in this amazing mystery that involves the physical world entirely. And there's no, there's no split of the spirit with the body in the actual Christian message. Um, so part of it, I think, is that it's the, the Greek language doesn't translate perfectly for us. It's part of why we're getting confused. And then the, the word for flesh is, is sarx in Greek. And sarx, that's where we get the word sarcophagus. It's, it's dead flesh or dead meat might be a better translation of that word for us. We might do a lot better if the Bible, if we could, in our translations, take out flesh and put dead meat. Because it's, it's, it's really, it has connotations of death in it. So it's missing something. It's lifeless. And what it's missing is spirit. It's, it's, it's the body pulled away from the spirit is what is the flesh. So when we, when we have this image of the spirit above and the body down below and we're separating them, we're actually creating the flesh when we do that. When we pull the spirit out and say it's good and the body is bad, we've just created what Paul's talking about. The living in the flesh is when you've sucked the spirit out of, out of this world and now this world is just this dead world that doesn't matter. Um, 
And, the, and then there's the word soma for body in Greek. And that, that's what Paul, Paul says, flesh and blood can, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He says sarks can't go into the kingdom of God, but body can. And in fact, not just body can, soma can, but it, it actually is made for God. The, the body is made for God. And then the most amazing passage to me is in 1 Corinthians 15, that, that the Lord is for the body. Like, that God is, we're, we're made, our bodies are made for God, and God is, is maybe not made for us, but is for, uh, for the body, the physical world. Um, uh, again, Robinson says, while Sark stands for man in his distance from God, Soma stands for man as made for God. I think that's where we get confused, is that the body is actually made for God. So it's not that we're going to be leaving this world and going up into the clouds and floating away. It's, that the, it's much more like the veil is going to be lifted and we're going to see this physical world for what it really is, which is full of, it's, it's completely fused with the spiritual world and has incredibly rich, deep meaning. That's what's going to happen. And that's the new creation. And that's what, well, I won't go into my own ideas, but the, 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 the lifting of the veil is is really what it's, it, this is about. And the flesh will pass away in the sense that the, 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 the physical world left alone will pass away. The spirit is going to completely fuse, or already has. We just don't see it. We've got coverings, and we don't see this. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about the whole time. Everything Jesus talks about is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. It's right here in front of us. And I think what he's saying is lift the veil and see the rich spiritual meaning in this world right now. It's fused together, and we're missing it. And every time everyone gets confused about what he's talking about, we're, it's because the veil is pulled down, and he's trying to lift it and get us to see what's really going on in this world. And, and that there, there isn't another world. This is the spiritual world right here. We just don't see it. Um, so if that's the case, then why are we heretics? Why do we keep going back to this Manichaean heresy? It's been going on since the start of Christianity. We keep falling into this. And I, I think the first answer is that St. Augustine was just too smart for the rest of us. Um, St. Augustine, this is like 350s to 400 AD, brilliant mind, so much wonderful things, stuff to teach us, worth reading him, absolutely. But his, he's so smart, his mistakes are still with us and haunting us. And he was a Manichaean before he became a Christian. So he never got rid of it. It was still in there. Even though he thought he got rid of it, it still seeps through his works. And unfortunately, we don't realize this. I mean, Augustine, we're still living what Augustine says. We're not just Christianity, but the entire culture that we live in is still, he's such an influence on everything. It's, it's hard to understand just how big of a mind this guy is. And um, Robert Platcher is a historian of Christian theology. Let me just read you what he says about Augustine. More than anyone else, Augustine shaped Western theology. Throughout the Middle Ages, his authority stood second only to that of Scripture. Historians have with some justice described the Reformation as a struggle between two sides of Augustine. Protestantism began with his doctrine of grace, and the Roman Catholic response grew with his doctrine of the Church. Descartes began modern philosophy with a series of arguments paraphrased from Augustine, and much of Freud reads like an extended commentary on Augustine's confessions. For better or worse, today's thinking about God or human personalities or history or sex still owes him a great deal. He's still with us very heavy on our shoulders. And 
his influence on Descartes is really huge because Descartes the one, he started modern philosophy and everything, I mean, we don't even realize Descartes is like on top of us all the time. He's the one who said, I think, therefore I am, which is essentially the Manichaean heresy stated really succinctly. I think, therefore I am. He, Descartes starts with doubting the existence of everything. He's not sure if the physical world exists. He's not sure if anything exists. And he works his way down to, but I know I think, and therefore I am. And so it's all up in the brain, it's all up in the mind, and it's all a spiritual thing with the body not even, not only is the body evil, we're not even sure if the body exists. Is, and, and that's where we're all built on, we're all in that doctrine. Um, but more than that, if we could somehow overcome our own culture, and, it's, and what it really is kind of seeps into our minds all the time with, we, we face the bigger problem, and that is that the kingdom of God is totally overwhelming. And to actually lift the veil and see the spiritual meaning in the world around us is just, just knock us down. The few times it happens in someone's life, these mystical experiences are just overwhelming. And so I think we're really just scared of going into that place, scared of really living in the kingdom. And the implications of the kingdom are so overwhelming that all of us would prefer not to. It's much easier to just back off from that. It's much easier to stay in the Manichaean heresy and take it easy. And I think the, the life of Jesus teaches us that. That's where it, it leads to the cross. It's not a fun place to go into. There is a, a Christian thinker named Kletenbrock who wrote in the 1920s, and he's so far ahead of us still. It's, I'm always astonished when I read this guy, but here's what he says about this, this topic. We have utterly separated spirit and sense, but the cosmos is both, with a double allurement so strong that we fear it. So we are Manichees at heart, for the Manichaean heresy is but the, the conscious, deliberate statement of a fear and the assertion that it is wisdom and truth. The fear is latent in all men, and the facts of life seem to justify it. Spirit and flesh are manageable if we separate them, but fused together they sweep us away. So we are always trying to separate them and to conceive of the universe itself as not one but two, the one all and the other nothing, the one real and the other unreal, the one pure and cold and the other warm and foul. So whether we are devout or skeptical, we are afraid of the reality in which matter and spirit are fused. I think he's really on to something with that. We're just really afraid of this idea of actually seeing the, way, the world the way God sees the world. Um, okay, so what are we going to do then? Because I think we're stuck in this Manichaean heresy, and it's a lot easier to stay there, and our culture slams us with it on the one side, and then we're too afraid to step out of it on the other side. So it's, we're really kind of stuck. And I, the only way out, I think, is to really look for meaning in the physical world. We've got to really look around and seek for the meaning, and the, the seek and you shall find idea. We've got to really look, and we've got to start knocking on the door of the physical world and looking for the spiritual meaning in it. Um, and Karl Rahner says this. He's a just recently died, but he's a, a, a Catholic theologian, a really big Catholic the, theologian. If we really thought about it, we Christians would have to say that we, not the others, are the most radical materialists. Because we say that the pure, actual self-communication of God, or God's divine word, has taken on forever a true body. So that we should be the real materialists. I mean, we have such a materialistic culture, but we need to get past, we need to jump over that 
and the obsession with wealth and all this stuff into the obsession with the physical world is where God is. The physical world is where the spirit is and the real meaning in the world is in this physical world. So we need to care for it that much that we're the real materialists and we outshine our, our own culture in its obsession with the physical world. And I, I suggest that we start with our own bodies. I think this is the place to launch from in seeking for meaning in the physical world. Um, and if we, if we go into our own bodies, we're, we get stuck with the mind-body disconnect that everyone knows is wrong. We all know the mind and body are one, but we, we feel that split, and we feel the difference between our minds and our bodies. And everyone talks about connecting the mind and the body together, but it seems like lip service to me to that because really what they mean is a mind over matter almost always. If you read any book about the mind-body connection, it's that the mind is so amazing and it affects the body. The mind controls the body. If you get your thinking in order, your body will get in order. It's always a mind over matter situation going on. And it really puts the body down and puts the mind on top. And we're getting that really backwards and I think doing more damage than good with most of the talk about how to connect the mind and body together. I think the idea that I think therefore I am separated the mind and body and we do better leaving them apart and shattering each of those pieces because our minds are not one and our bodies are not one. We, we've got it wrong. Instead of trying to make it all one, break it into a bunch of pieces and then you've got like this, like this you can string it together as a necklace, a bunch of pearls on the necklace. That's how it can become one instead of trying to jam it all together into one. Because our experience of our own minds and of our own bodies is, is a bunch of pieces. Don't we all have a, a shy side and then an outgoing side and one of them takes over in different moments and sometimes you don't know why. It's kind of weird. You get back in the corner sometimes and you're out talking to people and you don't understand why. And, and we have the, the press side and suddenly this, this hits us and we don't really understand why. And then all of a sudden we're exuberant on the other side and having fun. And there's, our minds are split up into lots of different pieces and we don't have control over these things. And our bodies are too. Our bodies have lots of different centers in them of energy that all ancient cultures know. Um, but they're, they're, they're not, it's not just a body. It's a whole bunch of pieces. And every ancient culture knows this, but it's really nice because so do the ancient Hebrews. And so the Old Testament is full of examples of this. And one of the really nice examples is the word for face in, um, in the Old Testament, or in Hebrew, is panim which is that the em at the end, that I am, is plural. So it's faces. You don't have a face, you have faces. And it reflects the many different facial expressions that we have. But this is a whole bunch of stuff going on. All the different facial expressions we have are understood as different expressions of things inside of us that we don't have conscious control over. There's tons of science on micro-expressions where people can tell if you're lying by looking at your face. If they know how to read these little expressions, they know that you're not telling the truth right now because what you're saying doesn't match your facial expression. Our bodies betray us. Our face betrays stuff inside. Same thing with a, with a blush. We don't have any conscious control over a blush. It just happens to our face. And it's from something beneath who we think we are, some other aspect of ourselves. And it's really useful to imagine it that way, to understand it as it's a different part of you. It's a different aspect of who you are, or it's a separate being than who you are. There's beings inside of us that are expressing themselves through our faces. Um, I think that's a really useful concept. And when you feel yourself making a facial expression that doesn't seem to match, and you can kind of, and that happens, I don't know, it happens to me quite a bit where I feel different things tensing up, 
you can, you can understand it as a different part of you maybe disagreeing with what you're saying right now. That maybe you agree with what you're saying, but there's another part of you that's fighting that. Um, I think that's a, a very useful place to start because we all say things that our own bodies disagree with and our faces can, can say that to us. Um, another one is the heart. We all know that, that the heart is the seat of emotions and stuff. But um, in every ancient culture, thinking goes on in the heart. So it's not just emotions, but also thoughts. This is where, this is where everything that we would say mind is, exists in, inside the chest. And, for the, and it was no different for the ancient Hebrews. The, this is where thinking happens. This is where deep thoughts happen. And, and we all know this, because when we, we all feel things right here. But we also, if we're saying something, if you really mean something, you tap yourself on the chest right here. You, I think this. And, you, and it goes on right here inside. But just because scientifically and anatomically, it's up here, supposedly, where the mind is, we, the mind is actually here in our own experience. This is where we feel our own minds. And the most common pain in Western culture is headaches. It's as if we've taken everything that's supposed to be here and shoved it up inside of our heads and we're trying to contain it all up here. And it's our own imaginations that's getting us in trouble. We've got it all up here. And this area, the chest, is the most forgotten part of the body. It, this is like, I mean, people don't know they even have ribs until they have rib pain. And that's not even that common of a pain. It's, our, our chests are forgotten. If you do a, um, there's this testing, you can do a, a two-point, um, forgetting the word for right now, but you, you stab somebody with little needles, basically, and you ask them, is it one point or two? You can do it on lots of parts of the body, and we're very good at that. The mid-back is one of the most pathetic parts of the body. I, th- I can't remember the numbers. I meant to look this up, but it, I think it's two inches. They can be two inches apart, and people are, mm, I can't tell if it's one or two. That's how, that's how little awareness of this mid-back area and this chest area we have. So we've taken our hearts, we've taken our minds, and we've shoved them up in our brains, and we're suffering in our, up, up here. And there's nothing, I think, that could be better for most of our aches and pains than bringing the heart back down here, bringing the, the mind back down to the chest. And it's just something you do in your own imagination, but, but you can feel it here if you start being aware of this. And I think this is a great way of healing the mind-body split also. If you put your mind, instead of up here above the rest of the body, put it back down where it belongs, inside the heart, right in the center of the body. So it's in the body now. That's where a mind-body disconnection can be healed. Those are, so those are two examples of things we could start working with. But the, the really big one is what's called the nephesh in Hebrew. Um, and the, the nephesh is really a separate being from us that lives in our throats. And this is, this is Old Testament stuff. It lives in, in the throat, or it is your throat. It's, you know, it's really, they overlap. The, it's your throat slash something that's in your throat. And it speaks of its own accord. Um, it makes groans and moans and sighs and wails. It comes out unconsciously. It's, it's, I mean, you can hear it in the room if you listen, clearing the throat, a sigh here and there, a yawning, a, a moan. These things come out, and they're not voluntary. They're not things that we, a lot of times you're not even aware of the fact that something just oozed out of your throat. This is your nephesh speaking. It's a part of you that you don't have conscious control over. And it is the thing in us that yearns and desires. And the best definition for it is it's like it's vitality. It reaches out for everything in the world that makes us want to live and it pushes 
the things that that disgust us away, and it's it's kind of violent and excessive, and it's all in here. And this is this is where air comes through. You can't breathe without your throat. This is where food goes in and out. This is where words come out. So this is this is understood as just a vital, or or the most vital part of our bodies, and it's a, a separate being that you can speak to. And the Psalms are full of this. this uh, almost every time in the Psalms, when you see, "Oh my soul," it's "Oh my nephesh." There's, the, the psalmist is speaking to his nephesh. It's separate from him. And he's having a conversation with his soul or with his nephesh. It's translated soul, but we might do better to call it nephesh, call it what it is, because soul for us is this disembodied, floating around, ghost-like thing. It's not part of our own bodies that we feel. Um, so speaking to our own nephesh, hearing it when it makes a noise, um, hearing it in other people, and responding, realizing that something comes out of somebody, a, a groan when they get up, their nephesh is saying something right now, and we can listen to that. And I know how weird all this sounds, but this is, this is how to fuse spirit and matter. This is, lifting, this is starting to lift the veil, to see the world the way every ancient culture, including the Hebrews and including Jesus, I mean, this is how they saw the world. Um, and then we need to get out of our own bodies and go into the world and start looking in the world because there's spiritual beings everywhere. The Bible says this. Jacob sees angels going up and down the ladder. Jesus talks to demons. Jesus rebukes a storm. He talks to a storm as if it's actually a thing. He talks to a tree. This is, I mean, and this is not, this sounds crazy, but every ancient culture, everyone except for our little modern culture sees the world this way. Jesus does this. David does this. It, everyone in the Old Testament does this. I mean, who, who's crazy? It's, I mean, it sounds crazy to us, but the, the weight is on the other side, that this is actually more reality than the way we're living, the way we're taught to live, and, the, and what our culture hits us with so hard. Um, the other thing that is so worrisome about this for, for most Christians is that this smells of polytheism or it's, it feels like you're getting out of Christianity. You're leaving Christianity if you start seeing nymphs in the trees. And this, this is, this just, it, not only does it sound crazy, but it sounds like you're leaving Christianity. But the whole point I'm trying to say is that we've already left Christianity. We're in the Manichaean heresy. This is where Christianity is. Christianity rebukes trees and talks to storms and sees angels and casts out demons. This is, this is where Christianity is. We're the ones who left it. And so it seems, it seems like it's not Christianity because we've, we've boxed ourselves into a weird place. That's Christianity. Um, so again, Clutton Brock, this guy who I think is just way ahead of his time, says this. The power of Christ over generation after generation is not so much in the doctrine supposed to be his as in the intensity of his spiritual experience, which all men can still recognize in the beauty of his speech. What he really says is always this, that he sees God in his kingdom of heaven and that we can see him too. But there is no division so deep as that between those who recognize and value this experience and those who do not. And I think that's really where it's it. We don't recognize or value actual spiritual experience of lifting the veil in, in the physical world and seeing these things. And so we're, we're on the other side of this. Um, so I suggest that 
we reflect on some of these things and that we start trying, I think the nefesh is a good place to start. To start, if you can start talking to your own nefesh, it'll be a lot easier to start talking to trees. I think it's, that's, that's a, it's step one. And, and, you can, and you can read the Psalms to help. I mean, the Psalms tell you how to talk to your nefesh. Um, an example you can really see in, in contrasting Protestant art with, with Eastern Orthodox art. In, in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, the transfiguration of Jesus, when he's up on the, on the mountain and he starts to shine with light, he has to be portrayed, this is a rule, with both feet firmly on the ground. He's, he's in the earth, he's on the earth, he's a human. And, and that's, got to, that's part of, it's, 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 a, it's a rule because they don't want to lose how important that is because he's turning into God in that moment. And he's, he's going beyond humanity in that moment, but he's got to still remain human. Compare that to Raphael's painting of, of the Transfiguration. Um, I wish I could show him, but it's, Jesus is, is levitating off the ground, both feet off the ground. And he's, he's flying up into the heavens and his arms are out and, and he's shining like a cloud in the sky. He's, he's heading off. He's going off into the spiritual land. And so there, there's a, that's how far from the humanity of Jesus we've come, the, the, the physicality of Jesus, how far we left the body behind, that the one side says you cannot show him with his feet off the ground in this situation, and we just show him shining up there in the heavens. We've, we've lost the body entirely in our understanding of this stuff. Um, I think physical pain is the best teacher of this. Um, there's nothing like physical pain to knock you back down to the floor. Um, you get you back into the ground, get you rem- rem- remind you of your body. If, if, any, if you have physical pain, first and foremost, understand it to be a, a message reminding you that you're human and that your body matters and that this physical world matters. It sucks us back down. Um, I know my own personal story is when I went to college, I wanted to be a physical therapist. But I was also getting very deep into Christianity at the time, and I was listening to like four sermons a day. And I'm sure it wasn't the, the intent of the pastors I was listening to, but I started to think, well, who cares about the physical world? It, let's, let's work with the emotional world. So I decided I want to be a psychologist. And then I realized, well, who cares about emotional pain? None of this stuff matters. Only spiritual stuff matters. It only matters if somebody's saved. I need to be a pastor. And I took this huge ascent up into the spiritual world, and then God flicked me down, and I went all the way back down into the muck of the body. And I don't even, <laughs> I don't even remember this happening. I, I don't remember making the decision to be a physical therapist. I was on a different road, and then suddenly I had applied, and I went into physical therapy. Um, and I'm really glad, because I think this is where, this is what we're missing right now in Christianity, and I... I, this is, this is, uh, we're missing the body. It's the most profound part of Christianity is the incarnation. The, the, that, that God became a human. That's the most profound thing. The, the, Jesus dying and resurrecting is amazing, but it can't happen without him having a physical body and being a human. The, the, the fundamental thing under that is that God became a human. That's unbelievable. And so it's the, it's the link to the physical that is just so important and so missing from our own understanding of these things, our own thinking and the way we, we work with our own faith. Um, and so I don't see myself anymore as taking this ascent up into, 
up into the spiritual realm. I, it was really it was a bad trip into the Manichaean heresy. That's, that's where I was headed. Um, let me give you one more quote from Karl Rahner. This is the, the Catholic theologian. We are children of this earth. Birth and death, body and earth, bread and wine are our life, and the earth is our homeland. In the midst of all that, of course, there is a secret essence of spirit, of subtle, tender, seeing spirit, who looks toward eternity and the soul, who infuses everything with life and lightness. But the spirit, or the soul, has to be present, has to be where we are, on this earth and in the body, clothing them with an eternal gleam instead of acting the good pilgrim, who, ghost-like, wanders across the stage of the world once, while remaining misunderstood and out of place there. It's being the spirit and the soul in this body is what is, is the critical thing. Um, so this, this is, today is the fourth week of Epiphany in the Christian calendar. And the season of Epiphany is, comes after Christmas, with the birth of Jesus, and before Easter, the death of Jesus. It's, it's kind of the life of Jesus. This is when we celebrate the life of Jesus. We celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. This is, this is his time here on earth. And we, it's, a, it's a season to reflect on that. And um, epiphany means shining through. So it's, it's, a, it's a great season to try to see the spiritual world shining through the physical world. And in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, it's not called epiphany, it's called theophany, so it, which means God shining through. So I like that name better. This is the time to see God shining through the physical world. And this is a weird coincidence, but today is the fourth week of epiphany, which is all the readings have to do with healing the physical body and has to do with the physical body. So I encourage you to read what is actually the traditional readings of, for this week, which is in Mark 1 and Mark 2, which is Jesus healing physical ailments. He heals the leper. Um, he helps the, the crippled man down into the waters. Or no, he heals instead of helping the guy down into the waters who couldn't get down there. Where they, where they lower um, the person through the ceiling to be healed because there's too many crowds to get him in. Um, John 4 and 5, when Jesus heals the official son um, from, through a, from a distance, goes, you know, your son will be fine, go home. Um, and when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, and he says, stretch out your arm and heal. These major healing events in the life of Jesus. And then 2 Kings 5 is when Naaman, this official from Syria, comes to Elisha and wants healing. And Elisha says, go, go bathe in the River Jordan seven times. And Naaman doesn't want to, but he does, and he goes, and he, he gets healed of his leprosy. So it's all physical healing going on this week. Um, and then there's Psalm 103, which I'd like to read as kind of a closing prayer. Um, and it's, no, I'll read just part of it. And I'm going to, instead of saying, it starts with, bless the Lord, O my soul. I'm going to say the word nephesh, because that's actually what the Hebrew says. Bless the Lord, O my nephesh. So, um, but if you wouldn't mind, just a, a, a very short prayer here to finish. Bless the Lord, O my nephesh and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my nephesh, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame, he is mindful that we are but dust. Thank you.
Wow. Um, I wish I understood it. <laughs> we'll get you cliff notes, uh, Bill. I'm, yeah, it is deep, and I'm curious right now. You know, maybe not understanding it's the key, maybe feeling it is the key. Yeah, I think so. Um, and That's what we try to do, and I think it's not possible. Yeah, exactly. Good point, exactly. So the impression that it made on you, be with that for a while. Yeah. And the impression is that suddenly spirit is closing in on us. I want to get out of the American. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Jake. Really appreciate it. Uh, Ellen uh, usually sits somewhere where near where Nancy is sitting this morning, and uh, Ellen has been battling cancer. She was not supposed to survive to last March, and uh, she's still doing rather well right now, all things considered, except that she is having eye surgery this week on Tuesday, and. Um, She's going to be laid up for a while. And so we'd like to provide meals for Ellen. If you would like to prepare a meal, uh, there's a sign-up sheet up here and then, uh, and then a list where you can write the date that you're volunteering to provide a meal and also some instructions. Uh, regarding, okay, she's a, she is a single woman, uh, a widow, and uh, so it's not going to be like you're preparing a meal for a huge family. In fact, most of us, as we make our evening meal, we just can make a little bit extra for her. You know, it's like putting one more plate on the table. All right? And, uh, yeah, we'd really appreciate uh, doing that for Ellen. She'd appreciate it, too. Would you stand, please? May the Lord our God seal in our hearts what we feel today uh, through Jake's message. May what God wants to communicate to us ring loud and clear. May we begin to see the world differently. May we begin to listen to our nephesh and to, uh, to allow it to speak to God on our behalf sometimes. The Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.